Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, good morning. Welcome to worship here this morning, especially if you're our guest. Um, inside your bulletin, there's a card that um, has a little bit of information about us, but mostly it's got blanks. Um, we'd like to find out a little bit more about you. We'd like to find out how we can uh, connect with you and help serve you. And um, if you would just take a few moments this morning, use this card, uh, tell us a little bit about you, and, um, and if you have questions about Northgate, um, we're happy to answer those. Just let us know what they are, and we'll do our very best to do that. Now, this morning, uh, we are starting a new series, and uh, the series is called Change is Good. And uh, we put these inserts in your bulletin, you know, and uh, the whole idea was, because change is kind of a buzzword around here, you know, these days, everywhere you see it. And so, you know, we put this insert in here. And a few of you thought maybe we were taking a political stand or endorsing a particular, you know, and and I heard a few things, okay? So I I just want you to know we are not going political around here, okay? And we're not, you know, we're not endorsing any candidates one way or the other. Actually, what we were doing was trying to find um, a slogan that just kind of said what we're about as a church and where we're going in the new directions that we're trying to head. And, And I got to actually tell you, we gave a lot of thought you know, to all of this, okay? And, and there were actually a lot of slogans that did not make the cut, all right? So let me show you a few of them, okay? Um, the candidates that are running for president, Senator Obama, his slogan is, change we can believe in. Uh, Senator McCain is, change is coming, okay? So we thought, well, maybe we'll do something like that. And so we thought we would do, Pastor Ken says, changes that we can navigate through. <laughs> Pastor Scott says, change or I'll break your arm. That, that did not make the cut, okay? Uh, you may have noticed Ruby Tuesday, the restaurant, you know, they've kind of changed everything and updated everything. And their new slogan is, everything's changed at Ruby Tuesday. It's a brand new Tuesday. And so we thought, well, what if we use that one? You know, what if we did something like this? Why did they change everything at church last Sunday? It's a brand new Northgate. Um, Arby's. Arby's new slogan is, changing the way you look at fast food. And so we thought, well, what if we took that one and we did something like Northgate, changing the way we treat church like fast food. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. But it didn't make the cut. Um, Apple iPhone, 3G, their slogan, it's going to change everything. So we thought, well, what if we took something like that and we did like Northgate, I change. This is going to screw up everything. <laughs> John Mayer. John Mayer has a new song out. It's called Waiting for the World to Change. And we thought, well, if we use that one, it would be Northgate is, ch- is waiting for the church to change. <laughs> nah, nah. That one didn't make the cut either. Delta Airlines. I don't know if you've seen Delta Airlines. Their new slogan is, try the new Delta Airlines. Welcome change. Welcome to the new Delta. And we thought, okay, we could use that one. And we could do something like, welcome to the new Northgate. If you don't like it, the exits are on the side <laughs> and in the rear. <laughs> Or Sprint, you know, here's another one. Sprint, if you could change the way wireless companies did things, what would you do? And so we thought, you know, we could use that one. Northgate, if you could change the way churches did things, would you finally start tithing? Ooh. Yeah. Those did not make the cut, okay? So we just thought something really simple to talk about. Um, Last week we did a survey and just got some feedback and and kind of an assessment of how we are doing as a church and how we are growing as a church and areas that we need to uh, 
to address and do better at. And so that's what this month's going to be all about, that change is good, all right? And we want you to understand that. Uh, don't take the political thing. We're not doing politics around here, but we are in the business of changing lives. As I mentioned at the beginning of our time together this morning, kind of had a little bit of fun with it, but change is really, change is the buzzword of our day. Um, it's all around us, politically, songs, um, restaurants, airlines. Yeah, everybody's talking about change. But the truth is that a song or a new iPhone <laughs> or a political solution will not bring the change that's truly needed. Because the real change that needs to take place is the change in our hearts. And central to Jesus' message was this message of change. Not change from the outside, but change from the inside out. And that's what he taught. And that's what he preached. And that's what he demonstrated. And he said, some people won't like change because they want the, old, the new wine and the old wineskins. And it doesn't work. And he said, the kingdom of God, you have heard it said, but I say to you, it was all about change from the inside out. And then, after his death and resurrection, about 50 days later, that change started. And 120 ragtag, frightened believers huddled together in fear of their lives because of their faith in one day became over 3,000 wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. That's change, folks. And it wasn't just a flash in the pan. It wasn't just a one-day, you know, big concert, you know, everybody got all excited and then all went home and went back to the way they were. It was change that changed the world. It became a movement that changed human history. And you know what kept it going? You know what kept it going beyond just a flash in the pan? Read about it in Acts chapter 2. Let me read this to you. Because this is what sustained them. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what sustained them. That's what made it more than just a flash in the pan. They devoted themselves wholeheartedly, passionately, in a pursuit of a deeper, deeper connection with God and a promise to care for and to actually do caring for one another and serving together and sharing this message that had changed their lives. And I believe, I believe God is not done with that work. I believe he wants that work to continue here and now, in this day, and he wants to do it through us, through his people. And over the last nine months, we and the leadership team have been looking at all that we're doing and saying, how could we do better? 
How could we do better about helping people connect with God? How could we do better at building caring systems and community within our church family? How could we do better at helping people discover their gifts and start ministering and serving in the way God designed them to? How could we do better at sharing this tremendous message that has changed our lives? How could we do better? Because if we just settle for status quo, folks, we will die. And I have been in a number of churches that wanted to keep status quo. They didn't want to make the changes, and they are dying today. And I didn't start this church. And God didn't call me to plant a church to just last as long as I'm the pastor. I believe God called me to plant a church that would continue to hold out the message of grace and demonstrate it in our lives with one another and find every way we possibly can to help other people discover it. Because there are thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of people within a 10-mile radius of this building, and many of them are lost and are far from God. I know some of you got kind of worked up by those posters because of the design of it, okay? Did any of you read the statistics on those posters? Did you get so turned off because you saw a sign that had a round circle and blue and yellow and star, blue and red and stars and, and, and about change, and you just thought, oh, oh, I'm not going to look at that. Did you read any of those statistics? Let me give you, I'd invite you, to hang around. Look at those. Hang around in, our, in the cafe. Look at the look. Read the statistics, folks. Only 15% of the churches in the United States are growing. And only 2.2% are growing because of new believers. The percentage of Americans who identified themselves as Christian dropped from 86% in 1990 to 77% in 2001. And I wonder what it would be today. And statistically, Americans in their 20s are significantly less likely than any other age group to attend a church service. That's the next generation. It's the generation that is with us now. 52% of students who are regular church attenders before college, by their junior year in college, that number drops to 29%. Change is not only good, it's vital. It's essential. And we are giving ourselves to do that. To make the changes necessary to continue to reach future generations. And that's going to mean change. That's going to mean change. And it's going to mean change for us together as a church family. It's going to mean change for you. And change is going to be uncomfortable. But that's what the gospel is about. It's about change. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this whole process of change. We're going to look at the transformation that happened in that first century church of believers. We say, how can we, how can we model that in our own generation and for generations to come? And it starts with, it all starts with God. And it's changing the way we connect with God, deepening our connection with God. The Bible calls it worship. And it's about giving priority and giving value and giving worth to God because He is the one who is worthy of it. 
And it was a part, a big part of the early church. I think it's what sustained them. It's what kept them going. And so how can we deepen our connection with God? How can you and I do that? How can we together as a church change so that we could deepen our connection with God? I'll give you a few suggestions this morning. I think one that's absolutely critical is I need to intentionally shift the focus of my intention. I need to shift the focus of my attention. It is an act and an attitude that takes my eyes off myself and moves them to one who is greater. It is the human need for transcendence, and it's how God created us, for relationship with Him. It is not for us. It's for Him. To quote a very familiar phrase, it is not about you. It is not about me. It's about God. The early church, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. That's what sustained them. They understood. They understood that there was this natural human tendency that we all have to focus on ourselves. And we all have it. Just this morning, let's kind of, because we haven't done this in a while, let's kind of just do mass confession, all right? Okay? Now, you don't, we'll wait until we go through all of these, and then you can raise your hand if any of these fit you. Just in the last week, just in the last week, if you did any whining or complaining, if you became anxious or worried about anything this week, if you found yourself envious of people who have what you don't this week, if you were cynical about anything, if you ever felt self-absorbed, if you mishandled your anger this week, if you felt judgmental or superior towards another human being, if you got irritated at the, driving, the dri- bad driver and the, ah, the bad driving jerk in the car next to you, <laughs> if you felt discouraged or frustrated by some setback, if at any time this week, even for a moment, you had the slightest hint of a bad attitude, would you raise your hands? Why is that? Why is that? Because it seems the default setting in my mind is me. Now, by the way, that's a software glitch. (laughs) Because it wasn't designed that way. We were designed to give our focus and attention to God. Psalmist put it this way. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. An old saying goes, the greatest difference between you and God is he doesn't think he's you. (laughs) And we need to intentionally redirect our minds toward God. Because our natural default is me. And if I am living my life in my little world and wrapped up with my little agendas, it messes up everything. It messes up my relationships with other people. It messes up my attitude. It skews the perspective of my life. We weren't designed to live for ourselves. So we need to intentionally direct our minds toward God. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with that. We are so conditioned because we have so much entertainment available to us. And by movies and concerts and shows and all these things... We go to these things, and everybody's a critic. You know, you go to a movie, and you tell somebody, well, how was the movie? Oh, it stunk. You know, I wouldn't go. Don't waste your money. Everybody's a critic. And the problem is, we come to church, 
And those very same standards that we set for movies and shows and concerts and all that stuff, those are the ways we evaluate the worship service. Oh, it didn't minister to me. Oh, it's too loud. What's with those lights? John Ortberg writes about it this way. He says, if you look at the beginnings of corporate worship, it actually started, the best we know from historical records, after God led Israel out of Egypt, out of their bondage. They crossed the Red Sea, and God made the waters part, and their enemies were destroyed. And there's this woman, a prophetess, Miriam, Moses' sister. She grabs a tambourine. She starts to dance, just spontaneously. And she sings a song. Sing to the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. And that's the beginning of corporate worship. It must have been just unbelievable. And a moment in history of the human race, people worshiping this one God who made them and delivered them. The very next experience of worship is very different. Same people, Israel. This time they come to the foot of Mount Sinai. This is where they now are going to receive the Ten Commandments and they're to worship. But now the worship's real different. This time it's not spontaneous. They are to prepare themselves for three days. They are to wash their bodies. They are to wash their clothes. It's kind of a way expressing their desire to be cleansed in their hearts and their souls. And the text says this. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. Now, imagine this response. Imagine some people saying, you know, we're going to leave because we don't like the songs we're singing now. We're not singing the songs we used to sing, like the tambourine song. I like the tambourine song. How come we don't sing the tambourine song anymore? That was a, ta- that was a great tambourine song. Or someone else saying, you know, I don't like what Moses leads worship. Moses just doesn't do it for me. I like it when Aaron leads worship. I'll come back to the mountain when Aaron is leading worship. Or someone else saying, You know, this worship is too formal. All that smoke and mystery, I don't go for that stuff. I like to worship God to be casual and informal. Or somebody else saying, you know, this is okay. I didn't like it when Miriam did that dancing thing. That was too uninhibited. Not enough reverence. I I don't like the tambourine. The tambourine is not a good instrument for worship. Or somebody saying, you know, three days is just too long. It's an inconvenience to my busy life. I don't mind worshiping God, but three days, that's ridiculous. (laughs) Can you imagine anybody saying that stuff? Because really, it's not about tambourines and dancing. It's not about thunder and smoke and lightning and mystery. It's about God. It's about God. We have chosen a worship style here. And we chose it so that we could use the instruments of our day and the technology of our day and the music of our day to reach the people of our day. We want worship to be understandable and accessible and relatable to someone who's never had that experience before in their life. And that they could come in and enter in and take part in that. And I don't know if you know this, folks, but we're getting old. I turned 54 in two months. I never imagined I would reach 50. 
And I can remember, I can remember when I was a teenager and in my early 20s in the church that I was part of, and we decided we were going to have drums as a part of the worship. Oh, you can't have drums in church. <laughs> guitars, guitars aren't worship instruments. And I thought, what is wrong with these people? Don't they know it's a new generation? Then I hear some of us sitting around here saying, why is the music so loud? Why do we do it the way we do? We do it the way we do so we can reach the next generation of Christ followers. It's why. And it starts with our worship. And the early church understood that. It's what they devoted themselves to. They gave themselves to this. And even, even a couple of chapters later, Paul, uh, Peter is, is arrested. And, and he's brought in before the Sanhedrin. And they say to him, what's this you're preaching about this Jesus guy? And he goes and he just lays it out for them. And he said, well, you can't talk about that anymore. If you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to lock you up. We're going to do away with all of you. And they came and they brought that report back to the church. And you know what the church's response was? Oh, maybe we better stop. Maybe we ought to tone it down. Maybe we ought to quiet it and just kind of slip under the radar. Uh Uh-uh. Listen to their prayer. Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Oh, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, greater boldness in preaching the word. Because they knew their God was far bigger than the religious authorities of their day. Their God was far bigger than the political authorities of their day. And they didn't say, let's tone it down. They said, God, can you hear what these people are saying? They think they can stand up to you. Because their hearts were directed toward their God. I need to intentionally focus my attention toward Him. And when we gather, when we gather, then we need to come prepared for an encounter with God. Worship is not an act of convenience, folks. It should not be an afterthought. It is an act of devotion. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. They gave themselves wholeheartedly to worship in every respect. And the result of that was they were filled with awe. Because they came into an encounter with God. They came prepared. They came devoted. They came anticipating. And they came engaging in worship. And there is nothing, nothing that we do together as a church that is more important than worship. And in the survey we did last week, most of you agreed with that. Most of you agreed with that. When we did that survey and we asked people, how important is Sunday morning worship to you? All together, between those who said it's very important and those who said it's essential, 90% of us said, this is what I need. And when you take the teaching and the music together, 80% of us said, this is why I come. We know it's important. And I'm telling you, folks, as a leadership of this church, we are committing to making on our Sunday morning the very best it can be. And there's been some changes that we have made. We put an insert in our bulletins with every sermon series so you could use that to invite a friend. Not so that you could look at it and criticize it. I got quiet. 
we have upped the creativity and our attention to detail because God is worth our very best. And our high schoolers and our middle schoolers have a new emphasis in worship in Sunday mornings. And that's our target. And we've expanded our children's program. This morning, for the very first time, we have fourth and fifth grade class just for those fourth and fifth graders. They were just getting a little too old to be with the young kids. And we have decided for more continuity that what we are talking about here this morning, our high schoolers are talking about as well. And our children are talking about as well. So you can go home and you can talk with your kids about what did you learn today? And you can teach them the lessons that we are all learning together. And we do that. We do that to make it more meaningful, more engaging, more profitable for us. And you know what the results We started making these changes about nine months ago. You know what the results are? This year, we have already baptized more people than we have in one year in the history of Northgate, and we have 14 more people signed up for baptism in two weeks. Yeah. And most of them, most of them are in their teens and 20s. Yeah. Because we've decided to make some changes. Now, we're making changes, but it's not all on us. You've got to make changes too. You've got to make changes too. The depth of your worship depends on you. So come prepared. I've got to tell you, folks, I think football fans prepare more for Sunday than most churchgoers. I mean, think about it. They are getting ready the night before. They show up early. And they bring and they share with those around them. And they're willing to stay there for over three hours. <laughs> and they'll pay hundreds of dollars every weekend. Just today, hundreds of thousands of people will be devoting themselves to a game. And they will stand and cheer and raise their hands every time a ball moves 10 yards. Now, if that kind of devotion and value and worth can be given to such a trivial game, don't you think, don't you think that it is worth the creator of the universe who sacrificing gave his life for you and me so that our lives could be transformed and changed? Don't you think that's worth at least showing up on time? And I'm sorry. It's a pet peeve of mine. And we have tried. We have tried joking about it. We have tried giving subtle reminders and hints. But I'm just going to tell you flat out, folks, get here on time. Get here early. Come prepared. I want to... We send out a letter to all of our guests. And we ask them to send us back some feedback. And we, it's a self-stamped self, self-address card. And we just ask them three questions. What did you notice first? What did you like best? What did you like least? What I notice first, a warm, wonderful building. What I liked best, the warm, welcoming feeling from the people that we met. What I liked least, the latecomers during the worship and music was distracting. That's a guest. If they see the difference, why don't we? Come prepared.
And that might mean getting to bed before midnight on Saturday night. That might mean when the alarm goes off Sunday morning, you get up. You wouldn't drag into work late every, every day. And you don't have to be there till 9 o'clock at the latest. It's preparing myself. Maybe getting up a little bit early and having a morning quiet time, just you and God. Read through a psalm or two. On your way, put in a worship CD or tape and just get your heart ready for an encounter with God. Because if you just kind of ramble in and you're not thinking about it, you know, it's going to take a good half hour to 45 minutes just to get your brain in the place you're at. This is important stuff, folks. Psalm 100, again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Would you circle the word with on those? It's not enter his gates to give thanksgiving and enter his courts to praise. He says, come already doing it. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, with his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Writer to the Hebrews put it this way. Let us consider, consider, think about how we can stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. It's that important. It's that important. And then what you do is you take what we've done together on a Sunday morning like this, and you take that, and you begin to reorient your whole life around God's constant presence. You just, you just take what we do together for an hour and then you transition it into your whole life. Our worship gatherings like this, they're just training ground. We connect with God and it bonds us with each other. And there is a depth and a richness about that because we celebrate together. And everything we do on a Sunday morning is constant reminders that this is about our lives. And when we sing... We're giving voice to our love and our gratitude towards God. And when we pray, we are entrusting the circumstances of our lives into His hands. And when we give, we are acknowledging God's care and God's provision and our trust in Him for our lives. And when we open up Scripture and we read and we study together, we are getting God's view on life so that we can better live in relationship with Him. And when we share together in communion like we're going to do this morning, we remind ourselves of a God who is so good and so loving that he gave himself up for us. And the purpose of all of that is to help us recognize all of our life is worship. Paul wrote to the Roman church, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I love the way the message paraphrase puts it. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. My whole life is an act of worship. The psalmist put it this way, I have set the Lord always before me. And you know what? When you read about the early church, because we didn't finish the whole section there. 
It said they devoted themselves to all of these things and they were filled with awe and they met together and did all these things, praising God. And the one part, the the last part of the sentence we didn't read is they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. That there was something about their lives that people looked at that even though they weren't believers and they weren't Christ followers, they looked at these people and they said, I like what they got. I don't understand it, but I like what I see. I maybe don't buy into it, but wow, those people are different. Could that be said about us? Our lives are an act of worship to God in every respect. And when we live with His presence, it shows. Let me give you a very few practical suggestions that you could do tomorrow morning when you get up. In fact, before you get up, when you wake up, when you wake up tomorrow morning, before you even get out of bed, would you just say a simple prayer? God, thank you for breath and life. Thank you for one more day. Would you guide me and lead me? Starting here, starting now. And then get up out of bed. Just set the tone of your day. Most of you, you take a shower in the morning? Ever take a shower in the morning? Please tell me you take a shower in the morning. (laughs) Maybe, maybe as you're taking your morning shower, say, God, as I'm cleaning my body, would you transform and cleanse my soul? Would you make me cleaner on the inside today? Invite his presence into your lives. He's already there. Acknowledge him. You might read just one song. If you can't do a half hour quiet time or 45 minutes, just read one psalm or a proverb. Maybe memorize it. But, But turn your thoughts towards God from the very beginning of your day. And when you get to work, Give it your very, very best because you do it to the glory of God. I can remember way back when I was doing construction and working for my dad, and, and we had this job we were doing in Piedmont, which is a pretty high-priced neighborhood, and, um, and we were doing some very, very intricate um, mold, crown molding, and it was a built-up. It was like three pieces, and you had to kind of, it all had to fit just right. And I remember, I distinctly remember to this day that after we finished that job and I stood back and I looked at that and I went, whoa, I'm good. (laughs) And then I thought, God, thank you for the skill to be able to do something beautiful with my hands. Give your work your best. Give your co-workers your best. My wife, two years ago, started a new position. And kind of the rumor about... um, the office where she was going to work was, you know, there's not a lot of camaraderie. People are kind of in their own little cells, and, you know, it's just not a real pleasant place to work. You probably don't want this position. So she determined, she determined. When she, the day one she got there, she went down the hall and stuck her nose in everybody's, everybody's business, everybody's office. <laughs> and just with a smile on her face said, Good morning. 
good morning. How many people have done that for you? Something simple like that could just change somebody's day. The idea is that you give it your best because it's all for God's glory. And you may forget. You may forget. In fact, chances are you will forget. So when you do, just start from where you're at. Kind of like, you know, the GPS. You know, anybody have GPS in their car? You know, when you kind of get off, that tells you what the directions are. And if you get off track or you make a wrong turn and everything, the GPS doesn't say to you, you stupid idiot, you're off track. (laughs) The GPS just says, okay, from here, take the next right. It adjusts to where you've made the mistake. And God's Spirit does that gently with us. When you forget and you get off track or you make a wrong turn, just where you're at, say, okay, Lord, I got off track. Help me get back on. And just start from where you're at. But start making this the direction of your life. And incorporate God's presence into all that you do. Lamentations 3. One of my favorite, favorite ber- favorite verses of Scripture. The writer says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. Because His mercies begin afresh each morning. Each morning, there is grace, there is strength, there is hope for the day. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.